0: Glad to have you with us today, and I'm glad to be back after a study sabbatical, getting ready for the coming year. And this year, uh, one of the first series right 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 out of the shoot is this one, and we're going to be looking at what I'm calling majoring on the minors. There's a whole lot of scripture that is just absolutely left to neglect, just not even considered, not even studied. And I really felt convicted in my own spiritual pilgrimage that I was not in my own life giving the the time that I needed to some great truth treasures, if you will, that are hidden back there. That I don't want to get to heaven and say, yeah, "God, go, why'd you do that? I had it in there, and I, it was in black ink on white paper, and you didn't even read it." Uh, you know, and so I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to lead a church in that same way. So, majoring on the minors is that. We're going to be looking for major principles of truth each week in minor letters, minor prophet books, uh, prophetic books that are kind of tucked away that maybe even the pages are still stuck together in your Bible. And so we're going to look at those and hopefully over the next few weeks, uh, draw out some of these major truths that have been stuck back in the minor letters and prophets. And so we'll go there in a moment. But let me ask you a question about your, your upbringing, if you will, your parents uh, that, that, that raised you uh, did you have a, a pretty good feel for your, your family unit that you grew up in? Now, I grew up as in, largely in a single-parent home, so I didn't have much of a choice. But even in my blend, split-up, blended family, I still quickly learned uh, who I could go to to ask for something and who not to go To ask for something. Now, did you grow up in a family system where you had a particular parent that was a little bit more generous than another parent? Uh, Maybe we won't call them stingy, we'll call them frugal or conservative, if you will. So, how many of y'all had a parent that you could truly say, Uh, that you would go to and you knew the difference between that's the one that was the easy button and and that's the hard button did you you knew them Did did you raise your hand all right about half of everyone in here now i have a question to you who raised your hands which one are you in your in your parenting situation are you the easy one are you the hard one the one that's hard to break through the one that's hard to get a good yes from you'll have to answer that on your own but i think we even, as adults, grow up in this world, and we never grow out of that frame of, of reference when it comes to the authorities. If it's a boss at work, if it's a boss above a boss, if it's if it's somebody that you you figure out how to to finagle and get your your views stated and your opinions stated, hopefully to win the argument, hopefully to get what you want for yourself, for the team or whatever. That's just kind of human nature. There's a, there's a problem with human nature. It's fallen, all right? That's not necessarily the way that we ought to function. I'm not saying it's all bad, but I'm just saying it's not the way we should function in our relationship with God, all right? It's not, God, how can I get my will on earth into heaven. That's not it at all. It's how do I get heaven into Mike McDaniel? How do I get God's will here? I mean, when he taught us to pray, he didn't say, pray my will be done as on earth as it is in heaven. He said, pray thy will. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, the whole idea here, the whole paradigm scheme here for God is not how do I get my will into heaven, but it's how do I get God's will into me. Pretty important. And I think in that process of this whole journey called life, figuring that out and growing out of the old paradigm and into the new paradigm of this world isn't about what I get out of it, about what I can get from it, but what actually I can bring to the table and be a part of in God's grand scheme of things. Now, in this whole conversation, you're thinking about a relationship with God, and you're thinking about knowing God's will and doing God's will. There's a couple of, I guess, some, some pre-ground spade work that has to be done if we're going to go into the future knowing God's will. One is I've got to be able to hear God, all right? That, 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 that ability to discern God's voice, all right? Guys, have we lost slides today? All right, we got to, don't have anything in the back or anything on the sides. There we go. All right, there we go. So discerning God's voice is very important. Now, for me, a long time in my life, I thought God's will was a big mystery. I had a hard time unpacking it. it, was, it I felt like it was behind a veil. It, was, didn't have, it didn't have the right combination, or I needed to talk to a priest, to a pastor, or somebody who's super spiritual to figure out what God's will is for my life. They're having a hard enough time figuring out what God is for their life, but how do I figure it out for my life? I felt it was some mystery, some shrouded mystery out there. And I find it's not that. I find it's a relationship. It's a relationship that I can have with God that I should have with God. And that epiphany that I had some years at a stage in my life ago, it was that epiphany that I, I began to realize that God wants me to know His will. Listen to this. God wants me to know His will worse than I want to know it. God wants me to know His will worse than I want to know it. And yet I'm feeling like, I don't know Your will, God. I can't find Your will. How do I know Your will? And being able to discern His voice is so, so critical. John 10, 27, Jesus was talking, referred to us in a metaphor kind of form. And He said this, My sheep hear My voice and follow Me. All right, that doesn't even need any interpretation. My sheep, you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, hear my voice. Now, if they sometimes hear my voice, they want to hear my voice. If they get the right combination, then they will hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. All right? Now, so back into that verse, I'm not going to be able to follow him if I'm not hearing him. I'm not going to be able to hear Him unless I am a part of Him, unless I'm His sheep or unless I'm in relationship with Him, unless He owns me, unless we're, we're tight like that, okay? So it really kind of comes down to where you're starting at. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Maybe, maybe the issue of you not discerning God's will, if that's an issue that you struggle with, isn't so much God's not talking the relationship isn't there. Here's another verse for you John 8 47 says, He who belongs to God, here's what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. That should make some people in this room quiver in their boots. The mere fact that I may not be hearing God's voice is not because God isn't talking. It's because I'm not in a relationship with Him. Very big understanding. Before we can even talk about you living the will of God, knowing the will of God, doing the will of God, the the divine plan for your life, because I don't believe any of us are here on accident. I don't believe any of us are breathing today because of just some cosmic chance of circumstances. I believe God divinely orchestrated your life, fashioned, formed you, made you, planted you in this world in this day, in northwest Arkansas, i be that specific for something. Now, why? Why are you here? Are you in a relationship with God? Very important if you're going to discern as well. The second one is, okay, once you get to where you hear God, then knowing how you respond to God, okay? How do you respond to God when God speaks to you? Let me give you a real quick answer to that question yes. Just say it. Whatever it is, whenever he says it, whenever he says it, the answer is yes. It's a real easy test. The other side of that test is actually living it out. I I realize that. But whenever I say I'm a Christ follower and I choose the Christ pathway, that means I am no longer doing it my pathway. I'm no longer going it my way. I am now going his way. Therefore... I can't choose the way, the path. The, the, all. I'm now listening to him. But here's the beauty of it: It comes back and reinforces that God's will is not found in some mysterious combination lock, through some superpowers chambers inside the church, or some kind of computer program that you Google out there. Here it is: John chapter 14, verse 23. Jesus replied, "If anyone loves me, he will be loved. Uh, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teachings. My Father will love him." And we will come to Him and make our home with Him. He literally comes in an abiding, presence, kind of hovering relation. Not hovering in a bad sense, but protective, hovering, blessing relationship. When when I am in a love relationship with Him and when I am obeying His direction. When I am living in a relationship with Him, obeying His direction, He comes, He lives with me, His presence is on me, His protection, protective hand is around me. Therefore, when I go out into this world, I don't go out alone. When I enter into a relationship, I don't enter it alone. When I take a job, I don't go to that job alone. When I'm driving down the street, I don't drive down the street alone. I have God with me, protecting me all the way. When I'm raising my kids, I'm not doing it alone. When I'm living my life, I'm not doing it alone. Because I'm in a relationship with God who's speaking to me because He's living with me and He's directing me because I'm His sheep. Are we tracking together so far? Because it's really important that we get this premise on the front end because everything I'm going to say on the back end is based on this. C.S. Lewis, great thinker, years gone by. The more we get what we now call ourselves out of the way and let Him take us over, the more truly ourselves we become. Now think about that. The more I get myself out of the way, the more the more truly ourselves we become. See, I'm afraid that Mike McDaniel hasn't become everything that Mike McDaniel should become, and it's not God's fault. It's because Mike McDaniel is still too much in the way. But when Mike McDaniel gets out of the way... He allow I allow that redemptive, regenerative work of God inside of me to make me the beautiful, awesome person that God wants to make me when I get out of the way. So he can do his work. Let me tell you about a man named Joe. I call him Jonah. All right. Uh, take your Bibles and let's open to the very first pages of your Bibles, alright? Now, if y'all are electronic studs with your little you know, iPads and computer Bibles, then this won't apply to you. Uh, but us back in the dark ages, uh, let's find uh, in, our, in our Bibles the table of contents, all right? We're all going to do this together for the next several weeks because these are going to be books that pages are still stuck together, and some of you all would not get there until I was finished with the message, and I don't want to wait that long. All right, so now you're going to look in the table of contents, and you're going to find the book of Jonah. Oh, in my book, it's 9:22, so turn to 9:22. Probably won't be the same for you, but uh, find the find the book of Jonah. Be turning there. Let me tell you about Jonah. Jonah's a real person with a real name, with a real with a real history, with a real God, and lived in a real time. And and I and I believe that you know you know the story. We've all kind of heard it growing up. Whatever Jonah, the well, and you know Jonah the well he becomes fish food then he becomes fish vomit three days later and we know we know the big arching pillars of the jonah story but some of us since childhood have not revisited that story so i want to revisit that today and cover four chapters in the time i have remaining which is very quickly going away so let's let's talk about jonah jonah about eighth century bc uh here he is, he's, he's, he's living in this, in this time the, of the Assyrians were ruling over the land. Now, that's important to know because if you were a Hebrew, you hated the Assyrians. The Assyrians were cruel, they were mean. Even though Israel still had a king, uh, the, the ruler of Assyria, uh, uh, the third, was actually the one who ruled over even the, the, Jew, the king of Judah. And, in fact, there's a carving that archaeologists have found. There it is. And it's actually you have King Jehu actually bowing down in, 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 in worship of uh, King uh, Shalmanzer, uh, the III. And you, could you imagine if you're living as a, as a Judean in that day and you're walking through the streets and you're thinking, feeling your independence and all that kind of stuff. In reality, you're just, you're just a puppet. In reality, you're a slave to the Assyrians. All of a sudden, let me, let me tell you what happened in Jonah's world. Jonah was a good man. He was a prophet. I mean, even Jesus affirms the, the life of Jonah in Matthew and Luke and all this kind of stuff. But here, 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 listen to this. All of a sudden, you wake up one morning and God says, listen, I want you to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was a major city in the Mesopotamian area. It was one of the largest, one of the oldest cities in the Mesopotamia area. And in this time period, that's where one of the seedbeds of the Assyrians lived. God says, go to Nineveh. I want you to preach hope and deliverance. I want you to confront their sins. I want them to know me because I want them to worship me. From that point forward, there's this visceral response that happens inside of Jonah where he just, can't even fathom the idea, the thought that he would actually go to this evil, ungodly people that have been oppressing his people. And so what does Jonah do? Does he go to Nineveh? No, he hightails it somewhere else. I want you to look at Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. That enough tells you that God communicates with his people. He's communicating with Jonah. Jonah is hearing it. Okay, what is he saying? Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. So Jonah rose, where would he go? To flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. I want us to look at from various angles what it's like when you and I live out our lives. Listen very carefully what I'm about to say. We live out our life running from God. What will you look like? Number one, your personal agenda, your personal plan, your personal way will trump God. It's as if Jonah was a prophet of God in his own time in this period. and He was trusted by God and God believed in him and God wanted him to go to Nineveh. God wanted to do this great work because archaeologists believe that there was a major earthquake that happened in Nineveh during this time. There were political upturn, uh, uh, turnover going on this time. So the people's hearts in Nineveh, the Ninevites, they, they were receptive. They were ready to hear. They were ready to respond. It was an opportune time. And God trusted this man. He said, Jonah, go. I'm going to send you there and you're going to go. And Jonah said, nope. God, I'll go here. I'll go there. I'll go over there. I'll tell this. I'll say that. But not Nineveh. When our plan, when our agenda trumps God's, we start, listen, we start down a dangerous, dark path. Let me show it to you. I mean, it was so blatant and so real. Jonah said, or God said, "Arise, go to Nineveh." What did Jonah do? He rose and he fled to Tarshish. God said, "Get up and go," and he got up and went, but he just went the wrong direction. That's one thing in of itself. You know, when I physically choose in my own powers and wills to do my own plan against God's plan, clearly spoken in His Word, clearly spoken through godly counsel, clearly spoken through His Holy Spirit, and I choose, and I'm living under God's presence, and I'm living under God's protection, and I'm living under God's provision, and I'm living under this, and sometimes we just go on and on in life, and we don't think anything about it. But whenever I choose to do my own plan my own way, you know what happens? I'm walking with God and all of a sudden, God, you want me to go here? No. And the protective, provision, blessing hand of God that was once over me is no longer over me. And now I'm playing fast and loose. He arose. He fled to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. The greatest tragedy is not that he didn't go to Nineveh. The greatest tragedy is he was no longer walking under the presence of God. It's a very big statement. I thought, man, I don't know how many times I've read this passage and just read right through that. I started doing a word search. started doing a phrase search on this one phrase. Away from the presence of the Lord. Away from the presence of the Lord. You know, because when you look at the, when you look at where he went, he went away from the presence of God. That was that was pretty big. I mean, w- you know, we know where Nineveh was. We, because what he did, he went down to Joppa, and Joppa he could have gone up to Nineveh. Nineveh was just straight north. But instead, archaeologists believe that, that Tarshish was as far away as Spain, a year's travel by ship. This, I mean, he didn't just go off course a little bit. He went in a totally different direction from where God wanted him to go. But again, physically, that's where he was going. But more than anything, spiritually, he was living a life recklessly out from under the presence of God. The other time that this, this phrase is used, the only other time that I found was when Cain, his brother, Cain killed his brother Abel. Cain killed Abel. It says in Genesis chapter four, verse sixteen, that he fled the presence of God. And you think, whoa, 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 whoa! We're, we're talking murder here. We're talking, we're talking, whacking your brother off here. We're talking. This is this is that's that's bad. I mean, that's that's really bad when you when you do that. That's truly fleeing the presence of God here when you whack somebody. You know, I I, I don't steal, I don't cheat, I don't kill. I'm not a pedophile. I don't do any of those bad bad dogs. I don't do that. What, what did? What did Jonah do? He just didn't obey. See, there's two types of sin that we need to be aware of. There's the sin of commission. That's what Cain did. Cain went out and he killed his brother. And in doing that, he fled the presence of God instead of repenting and coming back to God. But the second type of sin is the sin of omission. It's whenever I live out my life and I do it my own way. I, I'm not a pedophile. I'm not a killer. Not, but I just, I just don't do God's will. I just don't go to Nineveh. I just go to Tarshish. I just don't. It's not that I do something bad. I just don't. And that alone will cause a separation in a relationship with God. James chapter 4, verse 17 says, Remember, in fact, I want you to read this out loud with me. James 4, 17. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. I didn't hear that very loud. I want to hear it good, all right. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Again, one of the seven deadly sins? No. But whenever I choose that I'm going to do my agenda over God's agenda, I'm literally stepping out from under God's presence, God's protective hand. I'm doing it my own way, and I'm going to live with the consequences. When I know God wants me to give and I refuse to give, I turn away his financial principles, I do it my own way, I'm moving away from God's protective hand. When I refuse to go, when God's told me to go, I'm moving away from God's protective hand. When I refuse to forgive, when God's told me to forgive and to reconcile and to repent, you might be one of those people who say, I love everybody in the world, but this one person, if they dropped over dead today, I'd actually be happy. I wouldn't say it out loud, but I would feel it on the inside. You know, the whole idea there, when God calls us to forgive because we've been forgiven, and yet we hold on to it. Is that a sin? But they've hurt me. You don't know the pain that they've caused me. The pain that we inflicted on our Savior is nowhere in comparison. And He forgave us. We have got to realize Our plan cannot trump God's. Number two, you start a downward spiral. You just kind of start going down from here. You see it from the life of Jonah. He starts off this way. This is the way it starts in verse 2. God calls him in verse 1 to get up and go to Nineveh, and he got up and he went to Tarsus. He got on a boat, went down to Joppa, and all of a sudden you see now physically him spiraling downward what is truly going on inside of his life. Verse 3 says he went down to Joppa. And then he went on board, it says, but in the King James Version it says he went down into the ship. Verse 5 says Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship. You see all this downward trend, this downward spiral. He laid down and was fast asleep. Verse 5. Here's one of the things you got to realize about sin and about whenever we choose our own plan over God's and we move out from under God's protective hand and we start doing it our own way, what happens is we start spiraling down. And I have seen it in people's life. When they, they want to run from God, they want to run from the church, they put their Bibles on the top shelves where all it does is gather dust. They, they, they can't listen to Christian music. They can't be around Christians. They've got to run. They've got to run. They've got to get down deep. And then they've got, because the voice of God is still calling, The voice of God is still in is wooing them. Listen, they gotta go to sleep to get away from the voice of God. And I have seen people who will take substance just to put themselves out of their own induced misery. Self induced misery. It doesn't stop there. Verse 15. He was hurled into the sea. As you know, he goes down into the water. Verse seventeen: A great fish swallows up Jonah. Now he's down inside the belly of a well or a fish. We don't know the well or, or, or what it was. Now we might think that was his salva- That was his judgment of God. That was the ultimate judgment when you're when you're eaten alive by a fish. But actually, that was his salvation. Because when you read in chapter 2, verse 5 and 6, you find there what's really going on inside of him. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Notice this. He was about to drown. He had seaweed that's coming around him. Weeds are wrapped around my head. In the, the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. What did he just describe? Literally, Jonah was feeling the life go out of him when a fish swallowed him. This is what happens when we move out from under the protective hand of God and do it in our own way, in our own time, and become our own God. And what we do is we put ourselves in this downward spiral. Sin will always take us further than we want to go, always cost us more than we want to stay, it costs us more than we want to pay. And make us stay longer than we want to stay. He went from being a prophet of God. To a product of his own demise. A 22 year old man robbed a. Uh, a convenience store gas station in the Puget Sound of Washington State a few years back. And I picked up the story and I've saved it to share it on, I guess, a day like today ever since. It caught me off guard because this this 22-year-old goes in, robs the store, runs out the door, gets in his car. The cops are coming. He takes off down the road. They start chasing him up to 100 miles an hour. They start winding up through the western side of the Puget Sound. He's trying to get, evade them, trying to get free from, from, the, from the authorities. And finally, he does. But he has gone so far, made so many turns, he doesn't even know where he's at. Finally, he's winding back around, sees a gas station, pulls into the gas station. And it was the gas station that he had just robbed. <laughs> Needless to say, the cops were there a lot faster. They got him this time. But you know, that's what sin does. Sin will cause you to chase your own tail, to cover your own tracks, to hide things that should be confessed and repented of. Instead, you cover them up. And you go, gosh, man, I didn't get caught that time. They didn't see the credit card receipt that time. They missed that text message. They didn't know about that relationship. They didn't know I took that They'll never miss it. You see what happens, and we start this lifestyle, and we go down, and we go down, and we go down, which leads me to the third preferred view. Third view, we need to not miss, and that's that. And I hope this happens when we hit the bottom. I hopefully you will remember God at the bottom. No guarantees. I, I I've been in this long enough. Over 20 years, and I've seen a lot of people hit the bottom. In fact, that's probably the triage care of people hitting the bottom is probably what I do most behind closed doors. People want to see me because they've hit the bottom. And the sad part is is that I've seen family members go and hit the bottom, and they get up mad at God because God let that happen to them. (laughs) I go did it it's the culmination of the decisions that you made and the voices that you didn't listen to and the voices that you did listen to you did it i've seen family members and friends go through fall like they're going through trees hitting branches and limbs and and getting caught and hung up on things i think surely you're going to grab a limb and you're going to stop they don't they keep falling and falling and falling and they hit the bottom Some don't wake up at the bottom even. But when they do, they got it. They're like Jonah. When he finally got to the bottom and he hit the bottom, he woke up. Verse 17, chapter 1, it says, And the Lord appointed a great fish. Now, please note this. God appointed Jonah, a man of God, to go do the work of God. But he showed in his own stubbornness, his own willful stubbornness that he wasn't going to do it. God appoints a fish and the fish does it. Maybe we need to have the brains the size of a pea and then we'll be a little bit more obedient. The fish goes and he swallows up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. That gives you enough time to think as you're warmed by the blubber of a big fish. Jonah prayed to the Lord, chapter 2, his God, from the belly of the fish. Please underscore that phrase. Where did he pray? It wasn't on the mountaintop. It wasn't some retreat center. It wasn't in some kind of fancy hotel. It wasn't in his living room chair in a nice comfy, you know, with his coffee latte beside him or in the coffee shop. He found himself in the belly of a fish for three days. He had plenty of time to think about it. And he prayed. Called out to the Lord, out of my distress. And he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. My friends, this is a message of hope today. Because I'm going to put my money on the table today, and I'm going to say there's some in this room who you are here today, and you're either in the first or you're in the second. You're either right now turning away from the voice of God and you know it. You know it full well. Some of y'all are spiraling downward. And you can see it, but somehow you're either not stopping it or you're refusing to stop it or you can't stop it or you don't know how to stop it. And you're just spiraling downward, falling through the trees, hitting the limbs as you go down, just as Jonah did. And one of these days, I don't know, will you hit the bottom... Will you be like Jonah for three days in the well? Will it be three, three days, three weeks, three months, three years, three decades? That you'll be there before you cry out to God? But notice the promise of this. I called out to the Lord out of my distress. He answered me from the belly of hell. Sheol means hell. From the belly of hell I cried out. And he heard my voice. Listen, I don't care how much blubber's around you. I don't care how much seaweed's above you. I don't care how much storm is raging around you. If you call out to God, if you say, Okay, God, I'm tired of being God and I'm ready for you to be God again. I'm releasing the throne back to you. In my life, I am ready for you to move. And I'm going to let you move in my life. What's it going to take? The prodigal son. You know the story Luke 15? Here he was eating pig's food. Now, you got to understand, he's a Jew. Jews don't eat bacon. I like bacon, all right? He, he, he's not even eating bacon. He's not eating, he's not eating anything. Pork tenderloin, he, he, he's eating the pig food. And the Bible says he came to himself. He came to himself. When are you going to come to yourself? How hard does that have to feel before you come to yourself? How many times are you going to hit branches before you come to yourself? I had a person call me in the middle of the night one night, and they asked me one question. They said, if you can't tell me why I should live, I'm going to end it all right now. Now that will wake you up. That will put a pastor into overdrive real quick. How do I talk this person off the the ledge? And this is my conviction. From this corner to that corner, from that corner to this corner, and all points in between, there are people in our lives, there are people in our world that are wondering the same question. What is the point of this world? What is the point of this relationship? What is the point of my marriage? What is the point of my job? What is the point of my life? You may be at the bottom. Cry out to the Lord. Let Him begin to rescue you. The story doesn't end there. Wish it did. Happy ending. Because He comes out of the water in chapter 3. And here's, here's the challenge to us today is to see that we respond to God with our body and our soul. That we get out there and we say, Okay, God, I'm not God anymore. You're God. I'm following you. I'm going with you, God. And in chapter 3, it's, it's kind of an interesting story here. Chapter 3, the word of the Lord came a second time. Now, if you have your Bibles, again, underscore that. Because this is a beautiful example that God is a God of second chances. And I've noticed in my own life, thirds and fourths and fifth chances. Verse 2 says, Arise and go to Nineveh. Didn't we already hear this? Yeah, it was in chapter 1. He gives him the same calling. Again, arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against them in the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and he went to Tarshish. No, this time he learned his lesson. He's going to Nineveh. And the beautiful thing is is that when he goes to Nineveh this time, because, again, the ripe hearts of the people, I don't know what was going on, but they heard the message, even the king heard the message, and they respond to the message. This beautiful revival, the last verse of Jonah tells us that 120,000 people repent and start following Yahweh. This is a great awakening in Scripture. It's beautiful. God uses Noah for this. Now, did Noah just take off his glasses, step back and say, Man, I am the prophet of the day. I am the man. Was he excited? Was he he elated? Read chapter 4, verse 1 with me. But... It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Now, again, I don't have time for chapter 3 and chapter 4 and to dissect all of that, but just to say this, you can read it on your own. Jonah wasn't quite there yet. Even though God was redeeming him, and even though God was working in him, he wasn't quite there yet. You know what? And it's all a process for all of us. The beauty of this is that God doesn't just want him physically there. He wants him there with his heart. With his soul. It's kind of like a little girl one time. She was in her terrible twos and it just happened to be threes. So she was like terrible threes now. And so she had gone through twos and now she was three. And she had learned how to to, to bow up against mom and dad. And so finally dad took her and says, you're going to time out and put her in time out. She was so mad she couldn't stand it because she wouldn't go there on her own. So dad takes her and puts her there in time out. And so she crosses her arms, she curls up her nose, and she says to Dad, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. And, you know, I think that that's probably a lot of us at times when God calls us to do something. He wants all of you. He wants your heart. He wants your soul. He wants everything. And the beauty is is that God wants to do through you and in you a beautiful work just like He did in Jonah. And He will take you from the mess, from the trash, from the rubbish of our own lives. He will do a great work in and through you. Three lessons that I learned from just reading the life of Jonah. One is that God may take you down a radical path. He took Jonah down a radical path. Took Him across culture, took Him across prejudices, took Him across wounds to be obedient to Him, to a people that He could not stand. Number two is God will, God may, God will, excuse me, uh, may ask you to sacrifice deeply. Will or may ask you to sacrifice deeply. He may ask you to put the American dream on hold. He may ask you to give up some of the American dream so that His dream His vision may come to reality. Jonah, again, is an example of that. God will fulfill you. Jonah got into a sweet spot where God was clearly using him to bring 120,000 people to faith in Yahweh God. That's pretty big. Now, did Jonah like it? He didn't like the people. But God was at work through him. I told you about Jonah. Let me tell you about Brad. Brad's one of our own. Brad is one of our own members, and he is filling the call of God on him. And I want you to get to know Brad. I want you to be praying for Brad. I want you to partner with Brad. So watch this video and meet Brad.
1: I'm committing the next year of my life. To go share that story. Liar, thief, drunk, druggie, fornicator, rebellious. Those were all words that uh, that used to describe me. I was raised in a a broken home, divorced home. My dad was an alcoholic. I had a, luckily, I had a mom with a foundation, a Christian foundation that always stuck with me. I, for some reason, still chose the, the rough road. I chose the road to learn everything the hard way. So I found myself in jail, uh, in boys' ranches, boys' homes. I still still couldn't get it right. I always had the that tug inside of me, that that God was chasing me, but at the time I, did, I didn't want any any part of it. It didn't make any sense to me. Finally, when I when I came around, starting to understand, you know, this this love story of God sending His Son to die for me because He loved me. You know, learning learning that that story blew me away because I kept thinking to myself that. Surely they're not talking to me. Surely he didn't die for me. Look at who I am. Look at what I've done. I'm filthy. I don't I don't deserve anything like that. Then I started digging further. I started learning more. Mark two seventeen. I said It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. That's me. I'm the sick, I'm the sinner. That's who he has come to call.
0: Awesome story. Uh, Brad, you kind of lived uh, almost to some degree of Jonah life where God was pursuing you, calling you as you were just digging yourself deeper and deeper, spawning further and further down. And you're kind of coming up in that point now in chapter 3 uh, of Jonah where you're like, okay, God, here I go. This is, this is pretty big. So tell us about your calling. What's, what's God up to here?
2: Yeah. So, you know, I've, I've been called to go to uh, 11 different countries with a team. Of, it'll be a team of five. And we'll, we will be going to all these different countries and more or less just sharing that love story, yeah. uh, sharing the, you know, the unique story that God has given me, my story, my past, and to show hope through that yeah. um, and, and the true love of Christ.
0: So what, what will a day, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking 11 countries uh, in 12 months, that's about a, a month uh, in each country. So what would a day in your life look like while you're there?
2: Yeah, so so we'll be what we'll do is teaming up with the local ministries um, and whatever that need is. It could mm-hmm. be anything from building a church or walking through the village and praying over people um, or helping them garden, out in the garden, fellowship with them or leading a church or, I mean, Just it,
0: life on life, looking for those opportunities to share your faith as you go. That's, that's you. So what's next for you? What's some big moves uh, ahead of you right now?
2: Well, uh, I'm going to be quitting my job. Uh, you know, I work at Walmart and, um, you know, the promotions were coming. So I had to question, uh, are you sure about this guy? You know, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm comfortable here. Yeah. Um, but I'll be quitting my job. I'll be leaving, leaving my family, my friends, my church. Music ministry, the the children's ministry. Um, so it, I'll just believe in that.
0: That's big. I mean, this is not a lifestyle change like I'm I'm giving up Coke for Coke Zero. Okay, <laughs> this is this is uh, uh, this is this is a career change. I mean, you were gainfully employed at Walmart, climbing up the corporate ladder. All was well. Not, not like bad reports, and you're running for the hills. You. This is something that God's called you to, and, and not only that is. Is the lifestyle that you're looking at living? You're nomadic. You're going from living, I guess, an apartment, a house, whatever, sleeping on your Serta, to what where are you going to be living, sleeping, doing life now?
2: Yeah, so I'll be I'll be living out of a tent. I'll have my, you know, my backpack with me and my sleeping bag. So that'll be that'll be everything I have, Yeah. and then my team. So well,
0: well, you know, I know it's it's a bit daunting for us to hear all this, but you're certain this is what God wants you to do. Absolutely, Absolutely. You know, you think about what you're doing and sacrificing so much and putting so much out there. You know, you're a single man, uh, which some could kind of excuse that off. That's huge because, I mean, you were moving up and moving out in in, in, in a big way. What do you hope to see when you come back a year from, I guess, uh, a year after the trip starts? What are you hoping to see have happened in you, around you, and so forth?
2: Uh, You know, kind of twofold. You know, within myself, it sounds weird to wish it upon yourself, but I'm hoping to be stretched, yeah. um, be stretched out of that comfort zone. You know, I'm I'm leaving everything I'm comfortable with, um, but you know, my selfishness, my my desires will be just stretched out of the way. Yeah. Um, it is it's a painful process, but I've I've learned throughout my life that the most painful times and the hardest times are the the times where you grow the most, yeah. you learn the most. Yeah. Um, and then the second part of that is just anybody I come in contact with, I just I pray yeah. that they see the love of Jesus just through me. I can use my story he's given me mm-hmm. for his kingdom to further that kingdom.
0: Well, there's no doubt about you You're, you're going to be stretched, and, and uh, it is amazing that as you're out living life with the people, how you're going to be able to pour into them and pray over them and teach them and care for them and love on them. In powerful ways, how can we be a part? You're 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 one with us. You're 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 a member. You're, you're you've been to Zambia and served on the short-term trip. You serve our student ministry in so many ways. You're a part of us going out. How can we be with you as you go?
2: Yeah, thank you. Well, first, uh, you know, through the congregation, I want to thank the congregation. You know, through your faithful giving, the church is able to help out with some of some of the expenses that comes along with the trip. So, thank you very much for that. Um, I would say, you know, a huge thing is prayer. Um, it's it's a church word we're, we're comfortable with. I'll pray for you. You pray for me. Yeah. Uh, but I truly need, I mean, just You sincere, don't need that just tossed around. You yeah. need serious prayer I need deep, words. sincere prayer because there's, you know, some serious spiritual warfare that, that truly does go on. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, obviously
0: financially. Sure, sure. I mean, you think about it. I think you told me your cost of traveling around the world and basic food and lodging and whatever. Uh, it's going to be like $18,000 Right, right Which, you know If you think about it from an annual income basis It's, it's very nominal And, and uh, uh, from, from that But it's a huge faith move Because you're right. just going out It's like I'm committing to this God I need now God's people To help make this happen Right And we as a church are going to be helping you But I know there's a lot more that needs to be raised And you're in the process of doing that So let me tell you this Grace Point members, I hope that you will stop by the Go Center on your way out today, meet Brad, get some of his prayer cards, figure out how you can link up, go home as a couple, pray about how you can be a part of Brad as he goes around the world, serving, representing us, our God, serving our Lord uh, on mission with him. And we want to pray for you in that uh, right now and then let people come by and meet you after the service. Excellent. But, you know, I want to I just pitch it out to every one of y'all. This is Brad, but what about you? What about you? What's God called you to? Maybe it's not going around the world. Maybe it's just going across the street. Maybe it's just making right or wrong. Maybe it's just fixing something that's broken. Maybe it's just doing that good deed you've been put I don't know, man. The the list is endless. But are you willing to say yes as he speaks? Are you willing to adjust, even if it makes you uncomfortable? Are you willing? I want to pray for Brad, but I also want to pray for you. And then the band's going to sing, and you can respond however you want. You want to come and pray at the front? You want to pray where you're at. This is your time. You just follow the Lord's lead right here, right now. Let's pray. Father God, Brad represents us. He is not us, and he has his calling, Lord. We all have our calling. But we stand with Brad as one of us as He goes out from us and comes back to us, that, Lord, You will use this man. You will protect him. He will be going out under the hand and the blessing of God Almighty. He is not fleeing Your presence. He is walking with You, under You, blessed by You. And so, Father, we trust that. We pray that, Lord, in our, in our midst are people who are going to rise up and be a part of teaming with Him in prayer, through financial commitment, whatever, however. Lord, I pray for everyone setting down right now. Everyone that has heard this message will consider the life of Jonah. And they'll ask themselves, am I chapter 1 Jonah or am I chapter 3 Jonah? Am I running from God? Or am I obeying God? And I pray we'll make it right and we'll do what's right according to your call in our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is your time. You follow the Lord. You listen to His voice. You respond in prayer and obedience. Let's stand together.